This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we are continuing a series of messages that we we kicked off last week called Inheritance, Stories That Shape Us. And so over the summer, we're working through some of the the stories in the Old Testament. Some of them are really big and well-known. Some will be a little smaller and more obscure. But what we're discovering is how these are not just stories that uh, we tell each other. They're not just stories that are meant to be examples for us. But through Christ, we have been brought into the family of God. And so every story in the Old Testament becomes the story of our spiritual ancestors and the inheritance that they have left for us. And so last week we kicked that off by talking about Moses and the inheritance of righteousness that he has given to us. Today we're going to talk about Abraham and the inheritance of faith that he has offered to us as well. So uh, Abraham, Father's Day, kind of goes well together. If you uh, grew up in church, as at least maybe in the, I know for me in the 80s and preceding that, I don't know about after, but you know, it's, it's Father Abraham and many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I... And one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise it. There we go. Okay, all right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So now, if you don't know what any of that means, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It, it doesn't mean anything with what we're talking about today. It was just something they did to get kids to be quiet in church. Um, and so, uh, but, but Father Abraham, it's, it's this idea of Abraham is in many ways the father of our faith. Abraham is the one that was chosen by God. He becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Through him, we get Jesus Christ, who becomes the one who welcomes all of us into God's kingdom and into God's family. And so today, as we talk about Abraham, we're talking about our spiritual ancestor and the inheritance of faith that he modeled for us, that was perfected in Jesus Christ and is now shared with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, on on Father's Day, inheritance could be a natural thought. Uh, Maybe you have a dad or a granddad that left you an inheritance. Maybe you're a father or you hope to be a father and, and you long to be able to leave an inheritance for your kids or your grandkids who are coming after you. Uh, but one of the things that we know about leaving an inheritance is it's something that is both in your control and also out of your control. So you can work your whole life and you can plan and you can save and you can do everything. You can make all the right investments and yet, you know, at the same time, there are certain market forces, there, there are some economic things that could happen that could uh, really hinder your ability to leave an inheritance for your kids. And let's say you do exceedingly well for yourself, and, and when you die, there is enough left over that it should set your family up for generation after generation. You also have this understanding that your inheritance is only as good as the generation who's receiving it. Right? And basically every inheritance is one generation away from being completely gone. And so this morning what I want to talk to us about how is, how, is how this inheritance of faith is one of the only things in life that we can be certain when we receive it, we can pass it on and it will last long after we're gone, regardless of what's going on in the world. And we will pass it on not only to our own biological children, not only to our own adopted children, not only to those whom we've had personal influence on, but when we embrace an inheritance of faith, we become part of a global story that continues to be told generation after generation after generation all over the world among every tribe, language, and people group. It takes root and it flourishes. It's the only promised thing we have that's bigger than us and will outlast us. 
And so today we're going to see exactly what kind of faith Abraham left for us, what kind of faith was perfected in Christ, and what kind of faith you and I now receive. Now, as I told you last week with Moses' story, these, these Old Testament stories are really hard to compress down into about 30 minutes because Abraham's story alone should get a couple months. I mean, we're just going to kind of speed through and hit the highlights of it this morning. Just hit four or five different aspects of the faith he gave us. But each one of those, we could spend a month or two on just on their own. But we'll start this morning with the beginning of Abraham's story. It's, it's really not terribly impressive. It's in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. It says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So the, the first thing we notice in Abraham's story, the faith he gave us is a faith that comes from favor. So unlike Noah, who last week we saw was chosen by God because he was righteous and blameless compared to the wickedness going on in the world around him, there's nothing significant about Abraham that gives us a clue as to why God chose him. In fact, the, the only two things that we learn here is Abraham is a son who's following his father, and Abraham is married to a woman who cannot conceive a child. And you notice when we read through there that, that it says Abram and Sarai. God later changes their names to Abraham and Sarah, so we're just going to stick with that from the beginning, because uh, otherwise I'm going to get confused and, and switch it all around all day. So Abraham and Sarah, they're chosen by God, but our first introduction to them, there is nothing special at all about them, which is, is intended to lead us to understand that Abraham was not chosen because of who he is. He was chosen because of who God is. And so when we talk about Abraham's faith, his faith was not something that was preexistent in him before he encountered God. His faith was the result of God choosing him. And so for you and I today, the faith that we have inherited is a faith that we did not possess on our own, but a faith that has been given to us as a result of the favor of God on our lives. We have the ability to believe because God created us with the ability to believe. Your first inclinations that there was something greater out there did not originate in you, but in the God who created you. You have received the unmerited favor of God. He has chosen you. He's called you out. He's made you a vessel that can contain faith and that can exercise faith. And so when we talk about an inheritance of faith, it's very important for us to understand that faith is not something you create. Faith is not something that I possess apart from God. 
God is not looking for men and women who can kind of conjure up the ability to believe in him. But instead, he created us with the ability and gives us the desire to seek a relationship with him. And then he gives us gifts of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. He gives us gifts of faith to follow the path that he has for us. And he gives us gifts of faith to embrace this inheritance of faith and live it out every single day day, which is really important for us to remember because as we'll see through Abraham's story, your faith is not always going to be perfect. You are going to make some mistakes along the way. Your faith is not always going to be big enough. God is going to call you to do things that seem beyond your ability. And in that space, it is vital that you remember your faith comes from favor. And if God has favored you with faith, then he's going to give you all that you need to accomplish all that he has for you. He knows who you are. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you're strong. He knows what his plans are for you. And he's chosen to reveal himself to display his favor in your life by giving you the gift of faith, the ability to believe, to interact, and to respond to him. And so God chooses Abraham. Abraham's only qualification at this point seems to be that he's childless. Now, now, for us today, that is, is still a, a very real source of pain for many couples, where they, they long to have a family. They long to, to begin to build this thing God has called them to do, and yet for some reason, they're unable to conceive. This is Abraham and Sarah's experience, and yet it, while it's painful for us, it, it probably would have been a little more painful and a little more threatening even for them. With Abraham's nomadic lifestyle, a a large family was one of the ways that you secured your future. Your children, there there were no retirement homes. Your children were your retirement home. They were your future investment. They were the ones who were going to take care of you. And so Abraham and Sarah, as those who do not have any children, they would seem like some of the least likely people to be chosen by God. In fact, in the region in which they lived and the religions among that time for a couple to remain childless was often viewed as a sign that there was something wrong with him and that God or the gods were somehow displeased with them. And so Abraham and the only qualifications we're giving in Genesis 11 is he follows his dad and he can't have a baby. And yet we see God pours out his unmerited favor on Abraham and he gives him a calling that's unlike anything anyone has ever experienced before. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. We see from Abraham that we've been given a faith that makes us move. When God shows his favor to us and fills us with the ability to believe in him, it's not so that we just believe in him and stay exactly where we are and do what we've always done. But when God reveals himself to us, he always reveals himself and he reveals his plan for us. And so in our context, that means he reveals himself in Jesus Christ. 
as the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. He fills us with the ability to believe that. He fills us with the power of his Holy Spirit. And then we have to make a choice to move into this new relationship. Abraham had to leave where he was and walk on the new path God was calling him. For you and I, when God fills our hearts with faith, the first way we embrace this inheritance of faith is making the decision, I will move out of the life where I'm in control of everything, and I will move into the life where Jesus is in control of everything. I will follow where he leads. I will say what he tells me to say. I will do what he tells me to do. I will submit every part of my life to him. And as you submit your life to Jesus, you begin to understand he doesn't just lead you into salvation, but he begins to lead you in every part of your life. He starts to show you he has very specific and personal plans for you. He has plans for your relationships. He has plans for where you work. He has plans for where you go to school. He has plans for how you treat other people. He has plans for your finances. He has plans for your place in the world. He has plans to change how you see other people around you. And in all of these spaces, it requires movement from the way things were before Jesus to the way things are with Jesus. And we've experienced this in our lives. You, many of you, you have moved from death without Christ to life in Christ. You have moved as he has revealed his path and his plan for you. I mean, many of us today, how many of you, this is not where you grew up? Tulsa is not where you grew up, right? So, so in your life, you've experienced this. You have moved from one place to another. And we are now being called to do the same thing, to embrace a faith that moves. And the reason faith always calls us into a new space, into a new relationship, into new opportunities, you can live your whole life in the same town, in the same house, with the same family, and God still is going to call you to a life of continual movement where you're called to trust him in new places, where you're called to let him work in new areas of your heart, where you're called to reach out to people you would otherwise ignore. And the reason Jesus constantly calls us into a life of movement is so that we are learning every day in every season what it means to trust in him. When Jesus says go, we go. When Jesus says move, we move. Now, now, for some of us, that is very exciting because we like change and we like new things. Uh, for others of us, we're a little more hesitant. And we want to tell them, like, Lord, I will move, but I need, to sh- I need you to show me the finish line before I leave the starting line. And while you're showing me the finish line, can you also show me all the obstacles along the way? And while you're showing me the obstacles, can you also show me how you're going to ac- overcome all of those obstacles? And while you're showing me how you're going to overcome those obstacles, can you also show me how long those obstacles will last? And we don't want to leave until every second of every day has been plotted out and we have been assured that the end will be worth it all. And yet what Abraham models for us is a faith that says, when God calls, we go. When God speaks, we obey. Abraham has no idea how it's all going to turn out. At this point, he's been promised, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and he still remains childless. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was in Abraham's shoes, I might have said, Lord, we'll move when we have a kid. Lord, we'll move when you fulfill this part of your promise. We'll we'll take it as a sign when we have three boys and two girls that it's time for us to move into this new space. But until then, we're going to stay where it's safe. We're going to stay where it's known. And yet Abraham moves. And I don't know if you caught it, but it says Abraham was 75 years old. When God gave him this promise and he began this journey. It's a reminder to us that we are never too old to do new things as God leads. That we are never too old to be used by God in incredible ways. 
that we are never washed up or put out to pasture in any form. But God, as long as we are breathing, God has plans for us and is going to lead us into a life of movement. As, as you keep reading Abraham's story, you start to see that, that it's not all easy and everything doesn't go well. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, God had promised to make Abraham into a great nation, but Abraham's biggest problem was that he and his wife couldn't have a baby. We don't know why, but, but we know here it says there's a period of 10 years that passed between the time they get to Canaan and the time they, they decide to kind of take matters into their own hands. So for 10 years, for month after month after month, they are trusting. Maybe this will be the month the Lord provides. Maybe this will be the month Sarah finally gets pregnant. And month after month and year after year, they're getting older, they're getting older, they're getting older. It seems more and more unlikely that God will answer their promise, his promise to them. And, and they finally get to the point where they decide God needs their help. Right? And, and in your faith, you're inheriting a gracious faith that is not going to require your perfection for its goals to be achieved. And, and, and so if you, if you didn't get it, as we read through there, Abraham and Sarah, they kind of blow it here. They decide, well, if I can't get pregnant, Abraham, here's this slave. Why don't you sleep with her, knock her up, and then I'll raise that baby as my own, right? And, and so we, I mean, I think we can all read that and agree, bad idea. Now, culturally, there's some things we need to understand. In the ancient Near East, in some marriage contracts, it was actually written in that if a wife was unable to bear children, she would provide a servant or a slave to her husband who would conceive on her behalf, and then she would raise that child as her own. And so what's happening here is Abraham and Sarah are choosing to adopt the cultural customs of their day because they believe God is too slow in keeping his promises. They think they need to help him out. They think they're going to work around. And, and you're going to face the same tests. You're going to face the same trials. There, there is always a season of waiting when God promises to do new things in our lives. There's always a point between when he said it and when he does it. And in that space, it could be days, it could be months, it could be years. Or like Abraham and Sarah, it could be decades where you're waiting and you're longing and you're praying and you're trusting and you're questioning and you're doubting and you're wondering if you heard him correctly in the first place and you're wondering if all the sacrifices have been worth it. And then somewhere along the way, the temptation is going to rise up of, I think I know I can help God. I think I know how to speed this up. And, and so for Abraham and Sarah, they decide, Abraham, sleep with Hagar. And shockingly, it doesn't go well, right? She gets pregnant. And then there's all kinds of hassles and headaches and heartaches. And so just kind of some free Father's Day advice. Sleep with your wife and no one else, right? It just, it's not going to go well. It doesn't matter. Sarah, Sarah comes to Hagar or comes to Abraham. Hey, sleep with her. And Abraham says, okay, right? And, and he sleeps with her and she conceives. And Abraham and Sarah, for a moment, they think they've received the promise of God. 
They think the son Ishmael is going to be the way that God fulfills his promises to them. And yet they quickly learn that when you step outside of God's plan, you create consequences he never intended. And you can read the story later for yourself, but there's all kinds of hassle and heartache. There's headache, there's strife between Abraham and Sarah, between Sarah and Hagar, between Abraham and Hagar, between Sarah and Ishmael. Later, when Abraham and Sarah finally have a son, there's, there's hardship between Ishmael and Isaac. And, and it's just this miserable process. And all of it was created by Abraham and Sarah's desire to speed up the promises of God. Now, in your life, you, you might have, have been in some seasons where you felt like, hey, God, God promised you this or he promised you that and it wasn't happening. So you tried to speed it up yourself and then it didn't go well, right? Because you created all of these unforeseen consequences. There were all these ripple effects you never could have anticipated. And in that moment and in Abraham's story, there's a temptation to think that's the space where God would tell him or that's the space where God would tell us, well, because you didn't trust me, I'm done with you. I'm going to move on to someone else. I'm going to go find someone who will wait. I'm going to go find someone who's more patient. But again, if, if Abraham's faith was the result of God's favor, if Abraham was chosen because of who God is, not because of who he was, then when Abraham messes up, God doesn't reject him. He does deal with the consequences of his sin. God does have to work a way where he provides for Hagar and Ishmael. He does have to work a way where he brings some restoration to Abraham and Sarah. He does confront the choices they made. And for you and I, if we're walking a path of faith and we step off of it, God doesn't abandon us. He comes and calls us back to himself. There may still be consequences we deal with, but those consequences are not proof of God's absence. They're just another space where we now need to experience his grace. And what we learn is in Abraham's story is that God continues to use him. God keeps his promises to Abraham even when Abraham doesn't keep his to God. When Abraham is faithless, God remains faithful. It's a theme that we're going to see played out all through the scriptures. It's a theme we've experienced in our lives as well. Of we're, we're just not good at waiting. We're not good at trusting And because of that, we try to take control back from God. And what Abraham and Sarah did, it wasn't a poor choice. It wasn't bad judgment. It was bold, willing sin. They made a decision. We know better than God. And we're going to make this happen. Their sin had consequences. And God had grace. And so the faith you've inherited is an exceedingly gracious faith. There will be times that you're going to blow it. There will be times you don't get it right. There are going to be words you wish you could take back. There are going to be decisions you wish you wouldn't have made. There, there are going to be, I, I know you've been where I've been of a season of life where you've thought, I know I shouldn't do this and you do it anyway and you immediately regret it. And you think, I wish I could go back in time, but you can't. You just have to deal with it. But what we learn from Abraham is when you're dealing with it, God is still there dealing with you. He's still there working in your heart. He's still there drawing you to himself. He's still there being faithful to keep the promises he's made to you because he didn't choose you because you were righteous. He didn't choose you because you were perfect. He didn't choose you because you had more discipline than everyone else. He chose you because his favor was on you. And because his favor was on you, even when you mess up, he stands ready to forgive, renew, restore, and get you back on the path he has for you. We have inherited an exceedingly gracious faith. 
As you keep reading Abraham's story, you see they, they do get back on track. God does bless Abraham and Sarah. They give birth to a son named Isaac. It seems like the promise is there. Everything is being fulfilled. Life is finally moving in the right direction. They're celebrating his arrival. They're raising him to know and to love the Lord. They navigate the headaches that they created with Hagar and Ishmael. That's resolved through God's intervention. And now it seems they're in the new place. They have their son. God is opening Sarah's womb. Everything is going as it should be. And then we get to Genesis 22. And in verse one, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, again, this is a portion of the story that could take weeks for us to work through. But what I want you to understand is that the faith we've inherited is a tested faith. It's not a shallow faith. It's not a faith that at the first sign of hardship, it, it, it runs out the door and can't sustain us. But it's a faith that will lead you through the deepest and darkest nights of your soul. Now, Abraham, he, he's entering into this relationship with God. And, and if you don't know the timeline of the Old Testament, this is the beginning of the nation of Israel. So this predates Joseph in Egypt. This predates Moses getting the law as he leads the people out of Egypt. So when Moses comes, it, it kind of gets codified into law that God abhors human sacrifice. That he disallows it. He tells his people, you are never to practice those detestable actions of these pagan nations around you. I will never receive a human sacrifice. I will never ask you for that. Don't ever entertain that. Abraham doesn't know any of that. Abraham has lived in a, a largely pagan world where human sacrifice would have been part of it. And so when he hears God saying, offer your son Isaac, we read it knowing that through Abraham's obedience, God never intended for him to offer Isaac. He was just testing his faith. And so he knows there's going to be a, a ram provided on the mountain. It's never going to happen. Abraham doesn't know any of that. All he knows is he is learning to hear the voice of God and to do what he says. And he's messed it up previously and created Ishmael. And this time it seems that there's been some sort of transition in Abraham's heart and he's decided, well, the Lord gave Isaac and if the Lord wants to take him away, I guess the Lord's going to restore him to me somehow because he is the one who keeps his promises to me. And so Abraham goes and, and he begins the process. God intervenes and lets him know, hey, this isn't happening. You've passed the test. It's good. But, but what we want to understand this morning is if we're going to have a faith that can be trusted, we must be willing to have a faith that will be tested. And your faith will be tested in a variety of ways. Sometimes, like Abraham, your faith will be tested as the direct result of God's intervention in your life. God will not only allow, but sometimes send difficult situations, difficult seasons, and difficult people into your life to test your faith. And through that, he's intending for your faith to be refined, for your relationship with him to be affirmed, and for you to grow deeper and stronger in your understanding of what it means to walk with him. So sometimes you'll be tested at the direct will of God. Sometimes you'll be tested through the trials and tribulations that are part of living in a sin-filled world. You'll be tested, your faith will be tested as you experience hardship, heartache, and difficulty that come through your own selfish choices or through the selfish decisions and sinful actions of others. You'll be tested just by living in a sin-filled world. 
in all of these spaces, what the scriptures teach us over and over and over again is God uses every difficult situation to test our faith. And he's not testing it to see if he's going to hold out. He's testing it so we will learn in every moment, in my darkest hour, in my lowest valley, God is always faithful. He is always present. He always provides. He always saves. He always delivers. He never turns away. He never abandons me. He is always with me. That requires, though, that we have to get over this aversion to testing. I think probably a lot of us, I know at times I've felt this way of, Lord, I want a really strong faith, but I want it to come in a really easy way. You know, like, I want to trust you deeply and through every situation, but it'd be more fun if there was always plenty of money in the bank and everybody's perfectly helpful and people like me. Like that, that's really the path of discipleship I feel called to, Lord. And, uh, and if you could make that happen, that it would really, I think, just benefit me a lot. And, and yet, I've experienced what you have as well. Is, is life is hard. And stuff comes at you. And, and unforeseen things happen. And, and un, unwanted expenses pop up. And there are health challenges that you encounter. And there are relational difficulties that you walk through. And for some of us, we think every time we're tested, it's proof of God's absence. But what Abraham's story is teaching us is the inheritance of faith we have been given is that every time we're tested, God is active. He's present and working in those situations. And even in the moments that God didn't send those things to us, but they're just the result of sin in the world, he's still working. God will never waste a crisis in your life. Your darkest nights are always intended to be spaces where his light shines through. Your loneliest hours are always meant to be moments where you experience the nearness of his spirit. And there are lessons of faith that are only learned through testing. And so embrace it. And, 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 and you know, on Father's Day, one of the challenges for a dad is it means You've got to let the faith of your kids be tested. You've got to allow God to work in their hearts through difficult seasons and situations. You've got to let the, the same lessons that you know you only learn through difficulty, you've got to allow them to learn through difficulty. You can't clear every obstacle for them. You can't smooth out every rough edge that comes their way. You have to let them encounter some of these things so that they, like you, will know their faith has been tested and now their faith can be trusted. And they know that God is with them in every moment, every season, and every situation. As you keep reading Abraham's story, you see that after this encounter with Isaac, God comes back and he speaks to him one final time. He tells him, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The last thing we see in, in our inheritance of faith is it's a lasting faith. It's a faith that doesn't give up. It's a faith that doesn't quit. It's a faith that continues. Abraham's faith is our faith because we are the promise that God made to him. When God told Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, it was not just through Isaac. It wasn't just through the nation of Israel. But Jesus Christ is in the lineage of Abraham, and he is the perfect and final fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. 
You see, as long as the promise remained only a promise to Abraham, it was a promise only to the Jewish people. It was a promise only to the people who followed all of the right rules and observed all the right holidays and celebrated the right festivals and offered the right sacrifices. It was a restricted promise. But through Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, he now perfects the faith that Abraham offered. He now lives the life that Abraham was unable to live. Jesus lives out a perfect faith, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he now invites all of us into this family. And we become the lasting legacy of Abraham. When God tells him, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You and I today in 2022 in Tulsa, when we place our faith in Jesus, we become one of those stars in the sky. We become one of those grains of sand on the seashore. And Abraham's promise has went so much farther and faster and lasted longer than he ever could have imagined. There is no way Abraham could have pictured you and I thousands of years later as recipients of his promise. And yet we are blessed today because of his faith. And when we take our place in the family of God, we become inheritors of this faith. And we possess it and we practice it and we pass it on to those who are coming after us. And that inheritance of lasting faith becomes our greatest treasure. It becomes the greatest investment of our life. It becomes our most significant thing we leave behind. Because we know it will cross all the lines that culture creates. Every nationality, every language, every culture, every, every period of history, God's promise will remain. His church will be built. This faith will endure through the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so today, all that is required for you and I to accept this is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That, that favor he's shown us of giving us the ability to believe, giving us the ability to turn our eyes towards him, giving us the ability to recognize there's something more in life than what I'm currently living for. When you begin to recognize that, your next step is to act on that faith and to move into a relationship with Jesus. And when you move into it, you possess the faith that was promised to you. You possess the promises that God has made and you, you receive the same spirit of Christ that lives in you and enables you to follow the path that God is laying out for you. And so this morning, you know, it's, it's Father's Day. It's a day for many of us to kind of reflect back on the men who raised us or maybe the men who didn't raise us. It's a day to look back at a generation or two or maybe three in your family and see maybe there's legacies of faithfulness or maybe there's legacies of faithlessness. It's a day for us to look and, and think about what impact are we having on those who are coming behind us. But, but more than that, today and every day is a day for us to understand we have received a rich inheritance of faith. We have received more than what our fathers have given us or not given us. But we have been brought in to the family of God. And as the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, you have received the inheritance of Abraham. You have been favored by God. You have been given the ability to believe that God created you to have a relationship with him. You have been chosen and given a faith that promises to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. 
You have been given a faith that endures through long seasons of waiting. You have been given a faith that believes when God says it, he will do it. You have been given a faith that no obstacle can defeat and no enemy can take away. You have been given a faith that even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. You've been given a faith that in your darkest hours and deepest sins, God comes and restores, renews, redeems every single part of you. You have been given a faith that when you embrace it, you will see the promises of God in the land of the living. You have been given a faith that is an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. You have been given a faith that will always endure, that will always last, that will always persevere, and will always be victorious. And the reason for that is because it's not your faith, it's his. And he's come to share it with us. He is a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. And whatever state your heart is in this morning, Jesus is here to fill it with faith, to believe that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he has promised to do, and that he has promises and a plan specifically for you today. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. And the band's going to come and lead us in a final song. Jesus, we thank you that our inheritance is secure in you. It does not reside in our abilities and it does not depend on our discipline. But Lord, it is a free gift that has been given to us and so we receive it again today. Jesus, I I believe you see those who are in the room that that you are calling them into a relationship with you and you see the, the internal struggle and turmoil. Lord, I pray today that you would remind them your faith comes from your favor. And you have chosen them, not because of who they are or what they can do or what they might do, but you've chosen them because they are yours. You have poured out your favor on them. You love them with an everlasting love. And today, Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to recognize that we have been created to live by faith with you. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. Will you convict us of sin and reveal Jesus as our source of righteousness? Jesus, as we ask you to forgive us of our sins, will you cleanse us and restore us into a relationship with you? And Lord, I pray for those in the room or online who they've made that commitment. They're walking as your sons and your daughters, and, and yet there are promises that they are waiting to be fulfilled. There are things, Lord, that you have spoken that we have yet to see you do. Lord, we want to pause and remember that we have an inheritance of faith. That you have proved yourself true again and again and again. And so, Jesus, will you come today and fill our hearts with faith, with hope, with trust, with belief. That you will accomplish your plans in your time in our life. Help us to remain faithful, to keep our eyes fixed on you, and to walk the path you're laying before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.